The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. The show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today. 1973, Part 10. In this final episode of 1973, we will cover December 6th through the end of the year. McCartney's Runaway Album, now on Apple Records and Tapes. Ladies and gentlemen, we've had such dramatic response to, uh, what did we have dramatic response to? Paul McCartney coming into the program, and we've just heard that he's in the bath. So get out, you swine. Get in here. Come yes. on. He, he says, we're listening to Capital, but we won't be there until quarter to twelve. How can he listen to anything else? There's nothing else. It's just us. Hey, we had a report that uh, Paul and Linda have just left the bathroom and they're on the way through the kitchen to the hall. So stay tuned for further developments on that corner. Side two. Denny Lane. I can remember one day we actually went down to Ginger Baker's studio and did one of the tracks. It could have been Mamunia, I think. And Ginger played a, a fire bucket full of gravel as a maraca.
remember on uh, on my song no words that you know Paul helped me with at the end of the day um, he was playing the drums and then he sort of forgot where where to come in so he stopped and then came in a bar later or something and we thought well that's unusual we kept it in you know it was like doom digga doom 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 and then he came back in but we used that and then and then when we got the string arrangements for it we worked the string arrangements around that drum bake so all these little things that happen accidentally suddenly become part of the thing. Surprise that your black eyes are 
I'd been on holiday. We were wandering around um, Montego Bay, I think it was, and we're just tourists. And then you see something happening over there where they're all cordoned off. It's a film thing. So then I try and look like me. Hello, what are they doing there? It's me. (laughs) (laughs) No, because you're a humble guy, so I don't imagine it's easy for you to go and go... Hello, everyone. And when I'm trying to get in somewhere, <laughs> believe, me, believe me, I get in. No, I just sort of say, who is in? And somebody said, oh, it's Steve McQueen, it's Dustin Hoffman. Who was filming Papillon. So we got to know him. And he's quite a laugh, you know. And so we, we, we got on well. Did some dinners each and stuff, because, you know, we'd, we liked each other's work. And, uh, yeah, he happened to say, you know, I, I was playing guitar around at his house after dinner, and he happened to say... Uh, How do you write songs, man? And I was saying... Um, you just sort of, sort of do it. Kind of pick them out the air, and you just sort of, there they are. You know. Could you write a song about anything? He said, "Could you write one just now?" I said, "Well, maybe." I'd have a go. You know, try me. Kind of thing. He said, "I'll tell you what." He said, "I'll, I'll get you something to write a song about." He said, "I saw something great today." And he got a, his copy of Time magazine. I talked about Picasso's because I'd read all about his last days before he died. I think he was ninety-one or ninety-two years old when he died. He had this ritualistic life, and he would then kind of walk about, go through the garden, walk, see, look at nature. And then around 3.30 in the afternoon, he would go to work in his studio, and he would work straight until midnight. And at midnight, he would have his big one meal of the day, and I think it was outdoors at, at that time, and he would have his friends about him, maybe whatever it was, 10, 15 people. Uh, this long table, and they would eat and drink and wine, and and then afterwards he he would go back into his studio again and work until three thirty in the morning. And I was telling Paul all this, and at the night before, he said a rather prophetic thing, and he said it in French. He raised his glass to the people at the table at the conclusion of dinner to toast himself. In in French, he said to his friends, "Drink to me, drink to my health." You know, I can't drink anymore. And I was so struck by that sentence that I thought, well, he must mean that he can't drink anymore because he doesn't want to get too high uh, because he has to go back and work. And in some strange way, you know, I can't drink anymore also means it's the last time I'm going 
to be doing this with my friends because I'm going to die in a few hours. And I was saying this all to Paul McCartney. And he, he pulled out this uh, article on Picasso, who just died. Mm -hmm. And it said, Picasso's last words were, drink to me, drink to my health. Well, the article didn't sing it. <laughs> but shortly after, I did. I got my guitar and just made something up. He just started strumming, and I swear by all that's holy that he began singing this song of the story that I had just told him about Picasso. And that became the song. The grand old painter died last night His paintings on the wall Before he went He bade us well And said goodnight to us all Drink to me Drink to my health you know I can't drink anymore Drink to me, drink to my health You know I can't drink anymore Three o'clock in the morning I'm getting ready for bed It came without a warning But I'll be waiting for you, baby I'll be waiting for you there So drink to me Drink to my health You know I can't drink anymore Drink to me Drink to my health You know I can't drink anymore
Just to see Dustin's enthusiasm. Wow! No, but he's freaking he's out. He's shouting his wife, hey, look at this, come here, look what he's just done. I gave him the words, and he's done the song. <laughs> I mean, the fact is, is that he didn't come back the next day. He didn't even start fiddling around. It was literally immediate. I finished the story, and he strummed his guitar and, and played it back. And to me, you know, that was kind of sort of how I do it. So it wasn't that surprising, but it was nice that he was surprised. It's it's right under childbirth in terms of great events of my life. <laughs>
the album Band on the Run. It was a very hairy album to make. When did you realize it was coming through so well? What, the, the, the album? The album, the entire LP. I think when we were mixing it, really, that it, that it was starting to actually come together. We had a good time out in Africa, but it was hairy, as I say, recording it, so we were bothering more about what was going on. Um, Jeff Emmerich engineered that, and Jeff is a, a great, one of the great engineers. So I was in his hands on the sound and stuff, and he, he really did a good job on all that. Um, but it was only when we got it back to London and started mixing it that we thought, yeah, this isn't a bad album. I just like the total feel of it. You know, it's not a matter of the tracks, it's just the total thing and, and the memories, you know. That's the thing with me. We knew it was going to be called Band on the Run. That had worked out well as a track. So we thought, great, we could, you know, it's an obvious title for the album. Then I think we were starting to toy with this idea, it's kind of, sort of an obvious cover for a Band on the Run would be a bunch of prisoners who've maybe just escaped. Linda and I suddenly had this idea in bed one night. You know, let's let's get a bunch of people in a spotlight, yeah. like that that classic, they've got out of jail yeah. thing, you know. And then it was like, well, okay, we could get actors or we could just get mates or something. No, we could get, like, famous people. That'd be good. Because then we liked the game that people would guess. You look at the cover, you've got to guess who's going to do it now. It's and brilliant. do it now, yeah. It's almost like your Magnificent Seven. Just literally got their phone numbers. On the cover with Paul, Linda and Denny with chat show host Michael Parkinson. Michael Parkinson uh, is a guy who's very famous in England um, as a broadcaster and a writer. And he's a great northern bloke who I've known through the years, off and on, for longer than we care to remember, probably. I just basically knew him off the telly. I'd seen his shows and I liked what he did. So he was one of the people that I rang up and said, Hey, uh, Parky, do you fancy coming on the cover? And I think he was just intrigued with the idea and he brought his sons along to the session. So it ended up being a bit of a laugh. Horror movie star Christopher Lee. Christopher we'd known from the first early Beatle days. Who I'd, I'd met when we were doing Hard Day's Night. You know, you, he, he was probably making Revenge of Vampire 3 or something on the other set. And we'd seen each other and he'd always seemed like a nice bloke, you know. Very into his music. I think he'd, he'd release a record, I think he sings. But, um, you know, so, so I kind of had known him a long time. The multi-talented Clement Freud, MP. Clement Freud, now, I just knew him. You know, he's, uh, he's one of those fellows who goes to receptions and stuff. And you just, he's a funny bloke, you know. Singer and entertainer Kenny Lynch. Kenny Lynch, I knew from our touring days. Kenny had always been a mate from... Uh, and I hadn't seen him for a long time, so I thought I'd like to see him anyway, so he was game to do it. Hollywood star James Colburn. Hello, Mr Colburn. Uh, I've got this record, and there's this sort of cover, and uh, it's a band on the run, and what do, you, what do you say? And he's quite a swinger of James, you know, oh, sure, yeah, yeah, you know, he was into it, well into it. I just liked James Colburn, you know, he's, I, I just like his stuff. I liked him from The Magnificent Seven, I think. And the Liverpool boxer, John Conte. John Conte was a Liverpool lad who I'd been going to a lot of his boxing matches and seen him win the uh, Light Heavyweight Championship, so I was right behind John. Uh, Linda and I used to go to the fights. I used to think it was like the ultimate in theatre. Oh, my hard work was over. I'd done Wonder World title at Wembley. So everything was like a roller coaster then. It was wonderful, easy, it was terrific. And you were involved with all these great people and famous people and sit great situation. It was just a great honour and privilege to be invited. And Clive Arrowsmith took the photo. Thank you very much. Marshalling this disparate bunch of pseudo prisoners was celebrity and fashion photographer Clive Arrowsmith. 
I never realised, you know, at the time, you know, that it was going to be such an iconic thing all over the world. Somebody said to me the other day, why choose them? You know, well, they were iconic people of the time. They were all like, and they were alive. Whereas Sergeant Pepper, most of the people were dead. Do you see what I mean? And these are all people that were easily recognisable and adored or loved by the, the population of the GB. Clive Arrowsmith ordered us all around and then they put the big spotlight on us so as it looked like we'd been caught in. And he found a wall somewhere that was perfect for it. It was all Paul's origination, but I obviously set them all in the shape they were in. Ready? When they were all ready, I just had to keep on telling them and put them in the position. You hold that, Denny, you look out like this, Paul like that, and all the various, you know, and sort of attempt to give them the expressions. But once they, they got hold of it, I needed to have a very long exposure because the spotlight that I thought was bright was uh, not very bright, so everybody had to stay still for one and a half seconds. And so they wouldn't stay very still. James Colburn. I can remember my hand on the wall and taking direction of uh, Clive Arrowsmith with his megaphone and him saying, now, be very still, be very still. And you really must stay very still for that one second, please. I mean, you can imagine, you know, you have all these iconic figures at the time where you're your heroes and everybody having fun and nobody realising that, you know, you've got to get it on film. You've got to get it. OK, we're reloaded now. If you can all adopt the same positions again. I think I took about four rolls of 12 exposures and now only five or four frames were OK. And then it was the light I used went all yellow because I'd used daylight film and... Um, it was a, 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 an artificial tungsten light, so everything went yellow. And then Paul said, oh, I love the yellow light, it's great. I didn't say anything then. No, it worked out very well, but I was really in turmoil because I'd used the wrong kind of film. Yeah, it was great. Thank you very much. It was really great. You really look like you're doing the picture. Not since Sgt. Pepper has an album cover been more assembled. The Wings album, Band on the Run, was a slow starter in reference to sales and just getting the word out. The public was still digesting the Wings LP, Red Rose Speedway, that was released earlier in the year. But on December 7th in America, Band on the Run goes gold. A record chart overview for the week of December 8th shows in the UK singles charts, Photograph is at number 7, Helen Wheels is at number 13, and Mind Games is a new entry. In the UK album charts, Ringo is at number 2, and Mind Games is at number 9. Lennon playing his Mind Games album all the way to number 9 in December. A tuneful return from his double New York City days, reminding listeners that Lennon still had a real mind for melody and a feeling for his material. I'm reaching for my own feelings, whether I know it or not. Sometimes words come out on their own. And then I look at them later or after I've recorded and say, oh, that's what I was talking about. Well, I sometimes don't know what I'm saying myself till after it sort of... And usually the, what I term the better songs happen by themselves. And then I look at them after and say, ah, oh, I, I see what, it, what I was saying or trying to say. Well
Lennon is getting more and more involved in the L.A. nightlife. Before and after sessions, Lennon hung out with a kindred spirit, Harry Nielsen. Lennon's friendship with Harry Nielsen grew stronger with every drink. Harry thinks about why they became friends. Well, I don't know, because we're both the crazy, wonderful, zany, wacky kind of a hell of a guys, aren't we, old pal? I hope you hear this just for that line, because we haven't used that in a while. No, it's just that there was a period when we were all lost, around the early 70s, and, um, See, rock and roll gave everybody a license of some sort, too, you know? The second amendment to the new musical constitution, which people misinterpreted, you know? And it was simply do as much as you can and get away with it as far as you like until you do something that, uh, so that you're not entertaining us anymore. Lennon's oldies but moldy sessions seemed to be slowing down, but the chaos and craziness seemed to be escalating. It just was unfortunate that uh, they sort of the sessions kind of ended up being crazed each night. We had too much fun is what it was. The A&M studio managers finally had enough of the mayhem. 
and the sessions were moved out of the A&M studios and into the nearby record plant studios. Producer Phil Spector also has been coming to the studio dressed like a cowboy, firing a pistol to get the band to pay attention to him. Drummer Jim Keltner was at another part of the studio when Phil fired his gun. Phil was uh, just in one of those crazy moods, and he had his gun, and he pulled it out, and he, and he shot. I think, I, I remember they said that he shot the floor in the, uh, the lounge, and the uh, bullet ricocheted up into a corner. It was all wood in there, and it, it lodged in a piece of wood up at the top by the ceiling. And uh, Mal Evans reached up in, uh, with a knife and pulled the bullet out. But nobody was hurt, and uh, it was... Uh, but somebody could have been hurt badly. So, uh, yeah, Gary pulled us all out of there. He said, that's, that's enough. When he starts pulling the guns out, that's it. As December 1973 drew to a close, Lennon's oldies project appeared dead in the water, and Spectre wasn't showing up for recordings, nor was he returning John's phone calls.
the mayhem, all the drinking, and all the drugs, ironically it was Spectre who pulled the plug on the oldies project. He ran away with the tapes. He called me. Yeah, he ran off with the, the 16 tracks and locked them in his garage or somewhere. I couldn't get him and he called me one night. A very far out guy. You know, he calls me and says, <laughs> anyway, long story short, one day when he didn't want to work one night, he called me and said, the studio's been burnt down. <laughs> in the early days I didn't know about it, you know, didn't know how far away he was. So I said, oh, the studio's burnt down. So anyway, a couple of hours back, the studio's burnt down. So I get somebody to call the studio. It hasn't been burnt down. That was the Sunday. The following Sunday, he calls me. He says, hey, Johnny. I said, oh, there you are, Phil. What happened? We're supposed to be doing a session. I've got the John Dean tapes. I says, what? I've got the John Dean tapes. Watergate. Right, Watergate. I said, what are you talking about? He says, the house is surrounded by helicopters now. They're trying to get him. I said, the house is surrounded. I'm buying this garbage, you know. Oh. So I'm saying, the house is surrounded. you got the John Dean tapes. I, I said, well, what about our session? You know, aren't we supposed to be finishing or something? You know, it's costing money. This. <laughs> and he said, I said, what are you doing? The I'm the only one that knows how to tell whether they've been doctored or edited or not. I said, well, what he was telling me in his own sweet way was he had my tapes. <laughs> Not the John Dean Watergate tapes. He had my tapes locked in the cellar in behind the barbed wire and the Afghan dogs and the machine guns. So there's no way you could get them. So that album was stopped in the middle. Now that Lennon's oldies project had been abruptly stopped by Spectre, John's hesitation and bitterness towards the entire music industry, which involves Lennon signing another contract deal, was elevated. I really want to think a lot before I sign any other papers about anything ever because I'm still fighting court cases from things I signed in 64 with Epstein. You know, so I, I'm so, I'm so full of horror about the whole ball game. I don't even feel like looking at a guitar. There was good reason for John to eye any contracts with suspicion because the tables had really turned by December. The latest court case was John, Paul, and George versus the mighty Alan Klein, who still held the keys to their contract prison. John complaining bitterly about the whole bloody scene. We had so many companies over the years, you know, from way back in Epstein's days that still have interests, and there's so many cross... It's like a big family, you know, and, and the body of the Beatles died, and... There's this sort of will with all these 
different angles to it that people are trying to sort out. It's like an estate was left and the, somebody died and we're the sons that have got to try and sort it out. Nobody knows what they're doing. Lennon is not only emotionally distraught about his marriage reaching the end, he also at the same time is fighting to get his oldies project back as well as pay for the recording studio for the time spent. All that plus battle his ex-manager Alan Klein who is suing him, sort out the disillusionment of the Beatles, and deal with the U.S. government who wants to throw him out of the country. It is no wonder why John journeyed into excess. Out of all these problems, though, Nine. his mind kept drifting to missing Yoko.
In an effort to help John with his deportation battle, Radio Luxembourg on December 9th organizes a national petition to gain a pardon from the Queen for John's 1968 drug offenses. For all that's worthwhile, your radio dial is on Radio Luxembourg. Good evening, Knights of the Turntable. Tony Prince is my name. Making music all night long. That's my game, y'all. Over the phone, the DJ Tony Prince interviews John, who appeals for clemency and the right to travel freely between America and Britain. Following the transatlantic phone conversation, Tony remarks, I believe there is terrible injustice taking place with regard to John Lennon. When found guilty of drug possession back in 1968, his sentence was a fine, which he paid. But the sentence hasn't stopped at this. Lennon misses Britain, but he can't come home. The next day, on December 10th, John donates £1,000 to the ailing American underground magazine, The International Times. In December, Lennon met up with his old friend Mick Jagger. Mick wanted to record songs made popular by other artists. Mick wanted to record the song Too Many Cooks, which was written by American blues musician Willie Dixon and recorded by Jesse Fortune in 1962. Mick assembled a band which consisted mainly of L.A. studio session musicians, Danny Kutchmore and Jesse Ed Davis on guitar, Jack Bruce on bass, Al Cooper on keyboards, Jim Keltner on drums, and Harry Nielsen on background vocals. The producer for this session was John Lennon. Uh, I know Mick's around now, I haven't seen him this trip, but I, last time I saw him was L.A. In fact, we were jamming together down in record plant west and we made quite a good track i was so-called producing it meaning sitting behind the desk the session was assembled and produced at the record plant west in los angeles Yes, Carlos. 
Interview with Ringo Starr, London, December 1973. I feel that you have this sort of instantly likable personality, and because of this, I've noticed people often in that position, uh, they have to be cautious with people. Otherwise, um, it's easy for people to try and take advantage of them, Ringo. Yeah. Does well, this happen to you? Um, people think you're so likable, they can come up and touch you or get ask you things that they might not normally with someone they think's a bit more formidable. Um, yes, that's possibly true. But the way I, my reaction is that I sort of tend to like most people till they create some sort of crap, you know, and then I just totally ignore the people. Until you feel they've let you down? A lot of them, yeah. Yes. A lot of them do. <laughs> do they? Yeah. Well, maybe I, I must let a lot of people down too, you know. Mm. I mean, you know, you get all those people saying, oh, I thought you were bigger than that, so I saw you on telly. <laughs> <laughs> so I must blow their brains out. You know, oh, have you lost a lot of weight? You look so fatter in those films you do. You know, so we do it to each other. Yes, so you feel there's a fair compromise. But I think you're right, they do come up to me because um, I'm such a nice guy. Do you find it easy to handle, though? Yes. Is that because of your the strength of your liver putley and background? I it's mean? mainly through fear. Looked <laughs> 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 at the sky. What did I see? I saw someone looking at me. Someone looking at me and I 
you invested your money in Ringo? Me mainly. You have? Yes, I've bought a lot of toys. What sort? I never invested it in anything, you know. I had just cameras and pool tables and slot machines and, you know, things like that, you know. That's all. You don't have lots of shares? No, no. Do you no. keep your money in the bank? What little I've got. Because <laughs> I spend it all. You do? The money was here invented to spend mm. and it's very easy to spend it now <laughs> mm. you know, it doesn't it goes as far for me as it does for anyone else mm. but you must be very wealthy mustn't you from no that's what people things. think no i'm not wealthy at all you say the others are all better off than you uh well i think john and paul are definitely better off than me mainly on the publishing yes. and george has got a lot of publishing too yes. um you know and i was making money i mean i don't write that much and that's Anyone in the business tell you there's more in writing than ever performing. We never got in for performing. That's just a promo gig, you know. Yeah. No matter what they say, it's mainly a promo gig. I'm all right. I'll You're get right. over Christmas. <laughs> December 25th, Christmas Day. On Christmas Day in New York City, Yoko Ono performs a special solo concert at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine near 110th Street in Manhattan. She is backed by guitarist David Spinoza. On Boxing Day in London, BBC One transmits Disney Time. Hello, and happy Christmas. It's nice to be back with you on Disney Time. This year I'm especially delighted because I've been asked to select my own favorites from the Disney Film Library. With so many wonderful pictures to choose from, I knew it would present a challenge. However, this first one was easy. I'm sure everyone will agree with me. It's simply supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Disney Time is a special television show that showcases various Disney cartoons, movies, and stories as chosen and introduced by a celebrity guest. Today's celebrity guests are the McCartneys. Gorilla. Paul, Linda, and the kids. Hello, hello, hello. The McCartney's appearance was pre-videotaped from last week at Paul St. John's Wood home. Remember that music? It's from a scene I'll never forget. I'm a sentimentalist at heart. It's the Christmas celebration on a tropical island with a Swiss family Robinson. Oh, okay. Well, we'll do a bit now if you just hang on. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, thy leaves are so unchanging. Not only During the show, the couple introduced clips from the past Disney classic films such as Pinocchio, Mary Poppins, Wild Geese Calling, and others. Paul, who is dressed in emerald green trousers, a red, blue, and white sweater, and red and yellow two-toned shoes, almost resembles a cartoon character himself. Throughout the show, flanked by daughters Heather, Mary, and Stella, Paul and Linda are visited on the set by a procession of cartoon characters which include Goofy, Pluto, and a larger-than-life Robin Hood. Okay, lads. You've got to admit it. They are getting better. Only pleasant ones, please.
On December 26th, in an interview, McCartney said he did the Disney show because he had always been knocked out by cartoons. There's a story attached to that one, I believe, Paul. He revealed that he had been working on a cartoon production of his own based on a drawing of a mouse that he had made. It's about a family of mice living underneath the stage where Wings is playing. It is tentatively titled Bruce McMouse and was originally started during the Wings Over Europe tour in 1972. And that's our show. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. So it's goodbye. Okay, cheerio. And once again, a very happy Christmas to you all. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. program in living color on NBC. New Year's Eve, 1973. Have a nice evening this evening. New Year's Eve meant a new harvest of hits for all former Beatle associates. Coming up throughout the next 12 months, the very first to ring out the old and swing in with the new was Paul McCartney and Wings, making their mark with Band on the Run. With a quick recovery from the loss of Wings guitarist Henry McCullough and drummer Denny Sewell, who bailed out on the band before any recording was completed, Paul went on to produce perhaps the finest work of his solo career. Okay, time to cut back to Times Square and Dick Clark and find out what's happening in New York. How's it going? What's it look like? Well, it's a little bit browner than usual. Blue sky. Yeah, you know, there's a few lights out here, you know. Well, no, it's, yes, the energy crisis. Uh, let me ask you one thing. I lived in New York and never went near the place. And is this your first time or not? And how does it compare if it is? No, actually, George, we were here last year, same time, same place, same rain, same cold. Nothing has improved, but there are a lot fewer people here this year than there were last year. What with the, uh, the gas situation and the energy crisis, last year we had about 300,000 people in Times Square. This year they're considerably fewer. Let's get back to the Queen Mary for a second to check the scene there, right before midnight.
from Times Square, New York City, and from Long Beach, California, at the Queen Mary. Clark live with a situation that will ring in the new year in a moment. It's approximately 36 degrees as hundreds of thousands of people here in Times Square and millions of people the world over watch that descending ball that popped the old Allied Chemical Building. In a moment, it'll be 1974 and we wish you Happy New Year! From Times Square, New York City. To the strains of all Lang Syne, we welcome in a happy new year, 1974. Thank you ever so much for joining us. Even in the rain in Times Square. As 1973 lurched to a close, Phil Spector and the rock and roll tapes couldn't be caught for love or money. So Lennon was left in the lurch in L.A. With his oldest project in Limbo Land, he had little else to do than continue missing Yoko, hitting the booze, and getting into trouble in public. information or to contact the show visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com also visit at yesterdaypod on twitter and search yesterday and today podcast on facebook see you next time
I'm Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts Yesterday and Today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the shows. As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? <laughs> Don't worry, we will. <laughs> you can head to our social media pages, that's facebook.com slash yesterdayandtodaypodcast or facebook.com slash thirdmen, or you could head to society 6 dot com slash Kaminsky family podcast. That's society the number six dot com slash K A M I N S K I family podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. <laughs> Guys, we need your help. <laughs> Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. Thank you, Dad. All right, we'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me. Oh, for God's sake.